We are live in the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse at 67 East 11th Street in the landmark Cast Iron Building, Greenwich Village, City of New York. We start tonight as we always do. To those of you who are here for the first time, welcome. To those who have been here before, welcome home. Tonight's book, Making My Pitch, A Woman's Baseball Odyssey. The publisher, University of Nebraska Press, the authors, Isla Jane Borders and Jean Hastings Ardell. Please join me as we welcome Jean Hastings Ardell to the club. So it's kind of welcome. You were here the other day, to, uh, I did which come was in. it was so nice yeah. just to spend time with you. Thank uh, you. But it's kind of an official welcome since you're now in this chair. Very good. And just uh, quickly, just a little mini bio for those mainly listening to the podcast. Uh, Jean is what uh, my wife Marcy would call a slash. As a matter of fact, Marcy uh, has a book about that. I'm not going to publicize that book right now e as well, but if you want to speak to Marcy later, feel free. Uh, but anyway, Jean Hastings Ardell is an author, editor, speaker, researcher, and teacher. She is co-chair of the Nine Spring Training Conference and author of Breaking into Baseball, Women and the National Pastime. So just to get us going, if you would, if you, sure. if you could just let us know how this, this particular book came about. Well, I was minding my own business one day. <laughs> it was uh, February 1994, and I was working on my first book, research, uh, researching women in baseball of all sorts, umpires, fans, women in the front office, women that had played years ago. And I picked up my local newspaper and read the headlines, and they were headlines that a woman was to pitch for a local college, Southern California College, near my home. So that beat sitting at the desk. So <laughs> I drove over, and the place was a mop house. Southern California is a small um, uh, Assemblies of God-affiliated college, um, not a big campus, and the media were all over the story. And uh, the kids were all out there and jamming for Jesus T-shirts and in the beginning God caps because they were, it's a Christian school. And uh, it was a mob scene. And in the middle of it all, here's this ponytailed pitcher, totally focused on going out to the mound and throwing one pitch after another. And uh, she was in the zone that day. Hang on, should we wait for the siren to go by? Well, it is New York, so, <laughs> so Maybe it's, not. it's good background. Yeah. <laughs> Just yell louder. <laughs> so. Um, she was in the zone, uh, it was a tight game until the fourth inning and then her teammates just came on and uh, she pitched a complete game victory 12 to one that, uh, that day. She, um, she uh, gave up a home run in the eighth inning and her manager wanted to take her out, her coach, and of course she's a pitcher, she said please don't. And uh, he didn't, so she got the complete game victory. And with that she stepped into history. Her uh, uniform went to the Hall of Fame uh, museum, and uh, they had had to hold the uh, interview behind second base because there was so much uh, media, not just local but um, national and even from Japan. So as I I had two two things happen that day, Jay. As I went to cross the foul line to uh, join the rest of the reporters, I felt this invisible resistance as a woman crossing onto the field, and I thought that's weird because I grew up in New York, not far from here, in Jackson Heights, playing street baseball. And uh, boys, girls, no supervision, no organization, which I think is vastly preferable for kids. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I always felt at home on the field. So this was a new feeling, and I wondered at the time whether she ever felt that. What was it like for her to come onto the field every, every time to play with the guys? Because she'd been playing uh, boys baseball since she was 10. And the second thing that happened as I watched the interview and the media surrounding her and all was that this was an interesting story and I'd like to follow it for as long as it went. Little did I know it would be 23 years. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I found the story. Well, you, uh, in addition to being a terrific writer, you're a mind reader because you, you, you <laughs> mentioned the story that I was going to bring up about when you crossed the foul line, uh, yeah. which is... It's really a beautiful paragraph within the book. When oh, you, uh, thank you. Uh, and I just want to get, uh, this was my interpretation. You can tell me if I'm right, okay. or feel free to tell me I, sure. I, I'm a fool. 
But when I, when I started the book, uh, it basically, within the first chapter, fairly quickly, a lot of the first chapter is about Isla's talking about, she's describing pitch sequences, how she holds a runner on base, yeah. uh, all very detailed pitching things that anybody who loves baseball yeah. would, would love and yeah. appreciate uh, and see the game that way. Yeah. And for a moment, I completely forgot that Isla was a woman. Wow, she was just interesting. A, she was just a baseball pitcher, yeah. talking about how she's going to face yeah. this person. She would love that. Uh, <laughs> was that intentional? No, um, not at all. Um, it was interesting collaborating with someone on their life story. Uh, it's very different than holding up in your room and writing your own book and your own story, uh, like I did with my first book. So. Um, you know, she was adamant from the beginning when we first got serious about writing the book several years ago that she wanted a very strong baseball uh, story in there. And she wanted to do it inning by inning in this one game that she remembered so clearly. It was etched in her memory. And what was funny about that game is that she had, the week before, she had pitched six scoreless innings and won the game, which put her in the history books again. But she had no memory of that game. She was so focused on the game, she had no, no recollection of it. So she said, I can't reconstruct it. Uh, the next year, next week, she remembered everything. Mike Wallace was in the stands from 60 Minutes because they were filming a story on her. And uh, so we went with that game. So it's a great, uh, it's a great format for the book. Uh, to, to follow it through that way. Thank you. Well, it, it, she pitched another six scoreless innings. So the, she, when she left that game, she had um, 12 scoreless innings to her credit. Uh, and um, we're not the first to do that, of course. Jane Levy, right. in her fabulous biography of Sandy Koufax's perfect game, did that. And uh, I don't know that I, Isla didn't know about that book. Oh. She just instinctively wanted to start off each of the first six chapters with different aspects of what it's like to be on the mound. And it was way more technical baseball than I was privy to. So, you know, she, uh, that was her, her writing pretty much. Right. So, and the other great thing about that is that she was, um, she was out of town and I called the team and said, do you happen to have the game notes from that game? And the guy who had been just starting out, but one step above an intern, was still there. I think he was an assistant general manager by now. He had them. So because memory is what it is, I was able to reconstruct that game and, and fact check her as she talked about who she faced and how it went. So that was a great comfort to me as an author of nonfiction. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And there's a line, I don't know if it's from the marketing material or the book jacket or whatever, but it's, it's the loneliness of a groundbreaking pioneer who experienced grave personal loss. And uh, there is a lot, I mean, there were, were moments when I, I did not see certain things coming with her life. Yeah. Other times you could see it coming and you was, I, I was saying like, please don't let that happen. Yeah. And then you turn the page and it, yeah. it happened. And, yeah. uh, if, and it, there's a lot going on with her father. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you want to comment, uh, you know, discuss any of that uh, with Isla and her dad. I mean, it's, it's in the book, so it's sure. not, but uh, there's a lot there, including this uh, $50,000 yeah. uh, payment that she got yeah. for uh, an endorsement fee for, from a glove company, SSK Gloves. Yeah. So anything you would like to talk about with Isla and her dad? Sure. Um, if you reminisce about baseball, you usually wound up with a family member or a close family friend who brought you to a ball game. And in Isla's case, it was her father. He was her first and best baseball coach. And he was also um, a very difficult man to live with. So I didn't know any of this when I first met the family, but as I got to know them, I could see the family dynamics. And uh, as she T talking with Isla about her memories of childhood was like peeling an onion. Uh, she'd send me uh, emails, long drafts of what she remembered. I'd look at it, read it, edit it, think about it, and send it back, and she'd think of something more. And that's another reason it took a while, because we kept 
adding on, adding on. Um, her father uh, was an alcoholic. He was a womanizer. Um, financially, he um, made some grievous mistakes. Uh, I, I don't know how to diplomatically say it. And as soon as he got wind that there might be a baseball book in this, he kept telling me, it needs to be a baseball book, not, not anything about the family or anything. And I said, well, it's Isla's call. You know, by now she was well out of college, and it's going to be the book that she wants it to be, whatever that is. And you know, I'm just working alongside her. So um, there is a big disappointment with um, some money that he. Um, I'm not telling it very well, but when she was still in college, um, a deal was made, and he received some money that was supposed to go to her eventually and didn't. If the university had found out about that, it would have ended her eligibility. And when I found out about it, I wanted to follow that story to the nth degree because there was a, a woman from Japan who was involved with it. And there was a lot of stuff that I could have followed. And everybody I talked to, I don't know if I talked to you, Lee, but I talked to um, Rob Taylor, my, my editor at uh, the press. I talked to a couple of baseball historians, Larry Gerlach, who was, you know, knows about eligibility uh, at the collegiate level and they said just tell it as far as you go and then leave it. So I reluctantly did that. I would have liked to have written more about it though because I thought it was important. She would have lost her eligibility and uh, she would never have had an academic, a, a pro career probably. So uh, anything else about her dad? No, no I mean it's uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot in the book which people when they read the book will, will see uh, yeah. It's just her dad, uh, her, her dad with her, her dad with her mom, yeah. her grandmother. Uh, if there's anything you want to mention about what happened with her grandmother, uh, which then comes full circle in some ways. Yeah, uh, there's an early family tragedy with her grandmother, but I'd like to go back to her, with her dad for yeah. a minute because um, I don't know how your family works, but this is how it played out in the Borders family when the book came out. Um, by now, her father knew it was going to be more than a baseball book. And um, he got a hold of it early and read it. And I got a tearful call from his ex-wife, Isla's mother. And she was on her way to work. And by now, I knew the family really well. And um, she said, I just called, uh, got a call from Phil, Isla's father. He's all upset. He's furious. You made, you know, you made mistakes in the book. And he's going to call them out. And I'm you know, I can't go to work today, I have to go home. So I knew her well enough to talk to her about this, and I said, Marianne, please pull over to the side of the road, park, and listen to what I have to say. You need, I know you need this job financially. She was left really derelict by, by the divorce. Um, take a deep breath. Um, Phil could have called Isla or me, and we'd like to hear about the errors in the book. What are they? Well. Isla in the book says that somebody, and I can't remember the name of the player, uh, taught her the curveball. And Phil says that's a lie. He taught her the curveball. And so I said, well, Marianne, you know that when somebody's learning a pitch, it could be five or six different people that show somebody the pitch before they get it. And in Isla's memory, it was this player. Uh, you know, I don't call that an error. Uh, but I said, please tell Phil to call Isla or me and talk to us about the book. We'll be happy to talk to him. He never called. But it's interesting that he called his ex-wife and chewed her out um, about the book, like it was her fault. So um, I, you know, I was practicing psychology without a license for a good part of this book. <laughs> Isla was very young. She was very fragile because of her family background. Um, I didn't want to do her any harm. Um, and anybody that's collaborated on a book knows that it's quite an intimate relationship to work on somebody else's life story. And I wanted to do justice, not just to the story, but to her, and make sure she came out okay. So um, anyway, that's, that's the story of Viola and her father. They're basically um, not completely estranged, but they have a distant relationship. Uh, he, she wants him to pay back the money that he owes her, and he doesn't feel like he needs to do that. So there you have it.
All right, so now we're going to turn to a little happier uh, relationship. Uh, and there is a lot in there with her and her dad. I mean, it's, it's throughout the book. It's, it's fascinating, and, uh, and, and it's so layered. And, uh, uh, but the, the photograph, this is an Annie Leibovitz uh, photograph that's on the cover. And uh, usually I don't do this. Uh, as the regulars here knows, I don't let the authors read anything from the book. But if, if uh, I'm going to read something later. So okay. if you don't mind, if, uh, if I give you the page uh, 177, the first two paragraphs, uh, it's a story about Isla and Annie Leibovitz. And I think it just, it's, uh, it will take us away from Isla and her dad. And it, it says a lot about a lot of things. More good news? Yeah, from there, just uh, through the second paragraph, the paragraph below. Down to Yeah, the, perfect. Okay, okay. Uh, this is uh, in October of 2008, I think. I've written 70,000 words. I kind of forget some of the words <laughs> I wrote. Uh, quote. More good news came in a phone call. Photographer Annie Leibovitz invited me to attend the launching of her book, Women, at the Corcoran Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. on October 26, 1999. I was invited, me, the closeted gay broke ball player. I also received an engraved invitation from the White House to honor Annie's exhibit at the Corcoran, Portraits, Profiles, and Progress, Celebrating Women of the 20th Century where I would meet President Bill Clinton and First Lady Hillary Clinton. In her invitation, Annie had included a signed copy of her picture of me. If ever there was a fire in my home, I told myself, I would save that picture and my Northern League, fire, uh, I'm sorry, Northern League championship ring. But I had no money to pay for an airline flight, let alone a hotel room. There was no way I was going to charge those things to my credit card and instead of paying Kelly, that's her roommate, back. That was something Dad would do. So I called to thank Annie, saying that I would love to be there but could not make it. She asked why, and I said, very embarrassed, that I could not afford it. She was surprised to find out that I had no endorsement deals and was broke. I remember thinking that she also likely knew that I was hiding who I truly was. And then Annie winds up paying for her hotel and airline uh, airfare back to Washington, and she goes to the um, opening, and it's, it's a big moment in her young life to be hanging out with Supreme Court justices and presidents and so forth. So. Yeah, well, in this case, you can judge a book by its cover. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing about that is that Annie came along at a time when Isla needed somebody to look up to, to, to say, this is how you can conduct yourself as a uh, woman of whatever talent you have and uh, make your way in the world. So. Thank you. You're welcome. I have a few more questions, but I, uh, I think maybe we, we can start with anybody in the crowd who wants to, uh, to lead off. Okay. Yes. Sorry, I know nothing about this woman, which actually infuriates me, because I feel like I should know a lot more about her. It just truly bums me out being the first time. <laughs> Seriously, it is ridiculous. I, I'm kind of a huge baseball nerd, and this is whatever. Uh, so, so she was closeted, you said. She was what? She was closeted, you said. So she, she was. Gay. Did she ever come out publicly, or, uh, I mean, while she was like, how, what was that process like for her? Well, first you need to know that she is a uh, evangelical Christian, and uh, her father was Southern Baptist, uh, and uh, her mother was a devout Roman Catholic, and she really admired her mother's faith, and she had a very strong faith in God, but she'd been raised to believe that uh, being gay was an evil thing and she'd known since she was five years old that she was different. So to come out, A, in college, she would have been kicked out because uh, it was an assembly of God's school. And I confirmed that with her coach and um, the school librarian who, when I brought the book over to give to her, it's a thank you for sharing pictures. She told me all about the assemblies of God and so forth and so on. So um, she was firmly, and then she went into pro baseball and in the 90s, Nobody was coming out, you know. <laughs> uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the thing to do if you valued your career. Uh, those f 
few, I think there were two that did, Glenn Burke and uh, Billy Bean came out after their careers ended. And uh, so, you know, she stayed in the closet. She started edging out like a lot of people do um, as she got older um, to her family and friends. Uh, her mother accepted it uh, and loved her and loved her girlfriends because uh, that's the kind of woman Marianne is. Uh, her father feels guilty because he thinks she would have been straight if he had been kinder to her as a little girl. So there's a lot of conversations they need to be having to get clear on all this. So um, a several years ago, we've been working through the book, and she writes to me and says, I've got something to tell you, and I think it's going to ruin the book. And I said, what could it be? <laughs> and she said, well, I'm gay. <laughs> and uh, my husband and I, my husband is now her second father. He adores her and she adores him. And he said, get her on the phone. So he, he calls her and says, Isla, this is going to be good for the book. And it's, you know, times have changed. It's going to be okay. And she was fearful that she couldn't be a good role model for young girls if, she, if it would know she was gay. And then I, the author, get on and say, Isla, this will make the book even better because A, you told the truth, and in a memoir, telling the truth is really, really a good idea. You don't want some woman out there raising her hand and telling a reporter, well, I dated her. And, uh, you know, the path to hell is lined with authors who made things up in their memoirs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, and I said, you can so be a good role model because you told the truth, and that's a, that's a value uh, to uphold. So she got so inspired, not only by our conversation, I'm sure she had prayed about it because she was still a person of faith, and uh, came out to her fire captain. At, uh, she had become a firefighter after uh, her career ended. And uh, it didn't make a ripple at all. And mind you, this was in Gilbert, Arizona, which is a very Mormon, Mormon con conservative community. So um, a year later, her fire captain went to her and said, thank you so much for telling me what you did. My 16-year-old daughter just came out, and I would have not had a clue what to say to her if you hadn't told me your story. So that's how she came out. Then she was, and I, I did say to her, I said, you know, it's not my call, Isla, to tell you how much you should reveal of yourself. It's one thing to come out to Dan and me, my husband, and you know, family and friends. It's another thing to come out in print to the whole world. So think about it. But she wanted, she's basically a very honest person, and it always rankled her that she had this secret in her life. So it, it has absolutely opened up her world. I have a good friend. Did you ever have Andy McHugh here? He wrote a great book no, about no, uh, the, the Dodgers, Dodgers moving no. west. Yes. No, he has not been. Okay, well, he has known this me and this book for years and followed it and met Isla. And he came over to me at a signing a couple uh, months ago, and he said, you know, this book has been really good for Isla. She is so much more relaxed. She's so much more out there. She's um, got her sense of humor, which was always in there. Uh, but she was so restrained and so tight uh, because she was always scared about who was going to find out what. So um, that makes me happy. Right. Uh, yes, please. I've read the book yet. Definitely will this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Has Isla been able to connect with any of the more contemporary players, women players? Like, uh, I mean, you've spent the game and games and saw the UST, so like. I'm sorry, say that again. Has she been able to connect with any of the players, you know, who've come up in the last like 10 years? Yeah, to some extent. Um, you know, women pioneers can, tend to be solitary, and they don't always socialize the way we wish they would, so they would form a close connection. But um, I just chaired a uh, panel discussion on women who play baseball, and Marty was on it up in Cooperstown last week. And um, at um, Compton, there's an Urban Youth Academy in Compton, which Major League Baseball sponsors to help bring baseball back into the inner city. And um, 
Isla was there coaching. Uh, Justine Siegel, who does baseball yeah. for sure. all, was there. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were there, and they got to meet and talk to each other, which was terrific. And um, I've been talking to Tyrone Brooks, who's the um, executive director of the Pipeline for Diversity. That's not ex exactly his title, but MLB is now getting into diversity and inclusion. They have a whole department, and they're working on this. It's, and he cautions, he says, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to have 10 um, people of color uh, as GMs next year. But it's a step-by-step, person-by-person, and they're in talks with a lot of these young women to uh, bring them along into um, MLB as coaches, as front office executives, uh, you name it. So it's, does so that answer your question, absolutely. sort of? Um, so it sounds like there's uh, so much individualism required persist as a woman in baseball that one can become a little isolated and it's true. Less social it sounds like you're saying. That's a, that's a very good point. I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things Isla missed out on and she would say this when she went to see a league of their own the Penny Marshall film of 92 she envied that league's sense of camaraderie and how the women all sang songs on the bus and they became lifelong friends and they hung out together. She didn't have that. And believe me, she can get along with the guys. She has a lot of guy friends and always has. And, uh, but it, she needed some girlfriends, just plain girlfriends in my opinion. <laughs> yes? I know in the book she mentions playing high school basketball. I think it was high school basketball. It's a wonderful experience. Yeah. Why didn't she consider playing softball at a college level or high school level since it would probably easier to reproduce that uh, good feeling of team team that she had in basketball? That's, that's another good question. She loved her basketball experience in junior high and high school. Uh, bas baseball was her passion. and. You know, when it comes to passion, we can argue about whether you choose your passion or your passion descends upon you and chooses you. For Isla, it was always going to be baseball and never softball. They're two curious. different sports, and most women that play, you want to interject something in here? We have a, um, please, tell her, please tell us about yourself. Um, There's a wonderful young woman I'm in the back. It's true. It's it's the path into softball is wide and smooth compared to the path into baseball for a young woman. I was just curious in the softball playing community of women, was there a lot of support for her playing baseball? I really don't know. I don't know. I know it's a silly question. It doesn't apply, but I'm amazed at how many women voted for Trump. And I'm <laughs> Elizabeth, you want to speak um, to that? It's, it's very separated. Like if, if you're a female baseball player talking to a female softball player, um, I don't know. It seems a little bit cold. Um, <laughs> like people don't really warm up to it very much, but I think that all players don't understand the experience. Because also, if you've been a girl playing baseball your whole life, yeah. you've most likely been the only girl in your league, on your team, things like that. You've crossed paths with very few girls. And it's just, it's a fully different experience. So, I mean, you share a passion for a sport and you kind of play on that basis and on all sport related on that. But really, there's a pretty harsh divide between the two. Okay. Yes, Alan. I'm sorry, Stephen. I certainly can't think of one famous softball picture of any gender where I can think of so many women and so many men. Um, she went professionally. Well, she played in the Northern League, 
And uh, the Northern League is a very good independent league. It's not part of the minor leagues. A lot of the stories you read about her say she played in the minor leagues. She didn't. Um, they're not affiliated. The Northern League and, and other independent leagues are not affiliated with Major League Baseball. Um, but people like Daryl Strawberry played there. Uh, J.D. Drew, when he didn't like the contract he was offered, uh, spent a year in the Northern League, proved himself, and got a much fatter contract next year. So um, it's hard to say, it depends on what season you're talking about and what, what team. Um, I would say between A and, and double A maybe. What do you think, Lee? A, I think, I think she mentions a. it, you know, yeah. high A. It all depends on who's pitching that particular way, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right now, currently, how many other female professional players right now? Good question. Um, there's a team that's got, uh, Francis Ford Coppola owns a, a part of it. It's called the Sonoma Stompers, and it's out in the wine country of um, Northern California. They have a uh, bisexual uh, GM who I've talked to, assistant GM who I've talked to, uh, and I'm actually going to talk to them um, in um, August, but uh, and do a book signing. But uh, they have they had a couple women last year, and Coppola made it clear that he wants women on the team and on the field and in every other capacity. So. Um, that's also independent. It's uh, it's another independent league, yeah, yeah. So uh, there's not not many, and and there is also another. Um, I, th I believe that this is correct. I wish Perry Barber were here. She could tell us the whole side. <laughs> Pardon? Yeah, yeah. But there's a a woman who just um, is uh, signed to uh, be a minor league umpire, and it's been a while. So, yes. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I know some people from Stompers, so I was going to say, right, there's oh. two other teams there. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 But I, as far as I know, there was two. I think there's two. There was, yeah. There's another one, I think, this season, who's coming on. Yeah. yeah. What was the process by which you completed the book? I mean, did you, because uh, it's the hardest kind of writing, you know, to, but it's her voice, but it's your voice. I mean, how did you work it out? I mean, what did you send, because uh, she's living in Arizona, you know. Yeah. Did you send uh, chapters back and forth? Or, I mean, and, and was there any particular breakthrough you did to, to get the voice for the book? Because what gets me about Lila is, you know, she is a, uh, a uh, and it's really conveyed in the book. I mean. Everything you've read in a sports biography about a, a male player comes through in her. I mean, her work ethic, you know, she worked hard and she criticizes her father for acting like a Christian, you know, yeah. when, you know, and, and but, you know, how, how did you create that voice? Was there any? Well, I had the advantage of having known her for a good long time when we actually got serious about writing the book. Uh, that helped, so I knew her voice. Uh, I also had a real problem with um, co-authored sports biographies where the uh, writer's voice takes over the athlete's voice. I had read a couple of those and um, I didn't want my voice or my ego on the page. Uh, and the other thing was, you know, doing a humanitarian thing, I guess. She's, she's so lacked confidence in her ability to be articulate as a writer. And I kept saying, Isla, you write fine. Well, but my grammar and my punctuation aren't right. And I said, please don't even think about that. It was very hard to get her off that. So the best way I could do it was to, to have her send emails. Nobody worries that much about email punctuation stuff like they do if they are doing a, a serious piece. So she would just send me these long, windy emails, and I said, please give me the year, the place, a few details about how, where this happened, and I would organize them. And uh, then I'd type them up, and, um, or uh, they were already typed, but I would edit, 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 seriously edit. 
and uh, send them back to her. And that would uncover more uh, memories. So it was a messy business. Uh, like I said, it was like peeling an onion yeah. with her. And then the whole idea of her gender orientation and having that come out. Um, you know, we had to go back in and, and work that through. So it was, it was a messy process, but um, I had the idea in my head for so long that I, I knew where I wanted to go with it. Uh, so does that, yeah, does that help? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was, I felt a big responsibility to her um, to do justice to her story. And as you know, you can go sideways with a uh, co-author in so many ways. And we're still speaking to each other. <laughs> and um, I can say that we're friends now. You know, I, I had to keep a professional distance with her uh, to some degree while we were working on the book, but um, we're close. Yes? Has she done any appearances with you as you wrote the book? Yeah, we went up to Whittier College where she did her final year of uh, varsity baseball. And it was for Women's History Month. And we had some other people there. Um, Cat Williams, who's written a good book, a couple of good books about women in baseball, and um, Be Debbie Shattuck, who's also written about early baseball women pioneers. And uh, we had a heck of a good time. Um, we did a launch at, in um, Tempe, Arizona during spring training at a really neat, uh, big um, independent bookstore. Gives gladdens my heart that they're still around, called Changing Hands. So uh, we did that. Um, we were up at the uh, um, Trailblazer event in Compton together. Um, yeah. oh, we also did a, a radio um, podcast with an Arizona um, interviewer. I'm, trying, I'm blurring now. I can't remember all the stuff we've done together. <laughs> I need to write it all down. Look, it's on my website. <laughs> there you go. Do you know what his claim to fame is? Famous? He ran for student body president when he was a student, Richard Nixon did. And he ran on the platform of making it legal to have dances. So it was in Quaker College. And he won. So, I think you can dance now. But he didn't like it when Peggy Lee touched him. Oh, really? Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So what? What prompted since it's, she started pitching so many years ago? What prompted her to actually come to you and say, "I want to tell my story"? Well, she liked um, the questions that I asked going back to that day in 1994 behind second base uh, when all the reporters were around her. I wasn't asking her questions like, what's a girl doing playing baseball? <laughs> Which is not a good question to ask a girl who is. <laughs> Why aren't you playing softball? They don't like that. So um, I kept in touch with her. I did a few pieces on her. I did um, one for Sporting News. I did one for the LA Times um, op-ed pieces. I did um, some um, scholarly presentations at the conferences on athletics that nerds like Lee and Roberta and me go to. <laughs> and um, she liked was that what I was doing. I got to know her. I had to earn her trust. Uh, she was not quick to trust as well she shouldn't be, given some of her experiences early on. So, um, you know, I kept telling her, I said, you know, I think there's a book in this someday, if you'd like to do it. And she finally, she came to me a couple times, one when her career had just ended. And we tried, but it was too soon afterwards. So we waited, and it was the right thing to do. It's a much better book for having waited. So all things in good time. Yes? Did you um, have a book contract when you started writing, or did you, oh, yeah. what was the order of it? Yeah, we, um, let's see, what did the first thing we did? There's a guy in LA, he's a really good guy, named uh, Jonathan Kirsch. And his father was Robert Kirsch, the book editor of the LA Times for years. And he's a literary attorney. And we went to him and hashed out the details of how we would um, share whatever proceeds came, should any proceeds come from the book. And uh, movie rights, the whole thing. So we got that firmly in place. And then um, we got a literary agent 
and he's, uh, his name is Rob um, Taylor, I'm sorry, Rob Wilson, and he played for the New York Yankees organization in the 70s. And uh, he lives in Florida now, and he was the agent for a friend of mine, um, George Gamelch, who writes baseball. So um, he, he shopped the book. He really wanted a New York big publisher for this book, and he just couldn't sell it. Um, and he was mad about it. So when he uh, finally said, I've, I've tried the last New York publisher, I can, and he said, we're going to sell this book, and I hope to heck it's a big effing bestseller, and I'm sending it to all the New York publishers when it, when it is. So uh, anyway, then there are other publishers, university presses, who, uh, who uh, publish baseball books, and University of Nebraska is a very good one. They have an acquisitions editor named Rob uh, Taylor, who's just a really good guy. And in the beginning, he's, he knew about the book because he'd been to conferences when it, where I presented, and he said, can this be a baseball book? Because I told him about all the nuances to the story, and he could see me going off in six different directions, <laughs> and that scares editors. So I said, yeah, it can be a baseball story, but it'll be more than that, too. And he said, that's fine, as long as baseball is front and center. So I think he liked that there were those solid baseball sections at the beginning of the first six chapters. So, yeah. Any other questions? Yes. Uh, in, in doing some other reading, I got the impression that Howard was kind of apolitical or not didn't want to be identified publicly in a political sense. Um, is that right, or is, has her mind changed on that? I mean, as far as identifying with the women's movement, this sort of thing. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, she lived a very insulated life in a lot of ways. And her mother was not exactly a feminist in any other, in any way, shape, or form. So she was very, um, and also some of her sharpest critics were women, women sports writers, girls in high school, you name it. And she shied away from the feminist movement. She didn't want it to be aligned with it uh, to her, it was just all about playing baseball. She never extended her vision to the idea that because of feminists, she would have a chance or you know, even a remote chance to play baseball. So um, she said some things to the press that were printed. You know, I'm not a feminist, essentially. Uh, she also wouldn't uh, play with the uh, Colorado Silver Bullets, and that was considered a strike against her. Um, and I, you know, I happened to be a feminist, so I did some evangelical work. <laughs> I said, you know, <laughs> you, whether you admit it or not, you are a feminist because of what you did or are doing. And it'll, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be out in the streets hollering and shouting. Um, that's a stereotype. So um, I don't know. I, you know, I haven't asked her lately how she feels about feminism. But she is political in the sense that she worked on Al Gore's campaign in 2000. And um, she's, because of her partner, she's become more um, cognizant of political issues and what's going on around her. You know, she was so laser focused. She never lifted her head up, you know, much about anything but baseball. So. As far as her performances? Well, yeah, or when the, uh, the journalist friend will come, when the media was descending on her, uh, does she have or do you have uh, uh, her at that time being interviewed, pitching? Um, well, we've got the, you can get the 60 Minutes interview on uh, YouTube. 60 Minutes of that. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you Google her, you'll find plenty of material out there. Uh, and to the, as soon as the book came out, we did, we've done a lot of interviews. I can't even remember all the interviews we've done. Mm -hmm. And you know, she's doing her part. That's the other nice thing about having a co-author. There's two of us promoting the book. So she's doing stuff on her own. I'm doing stuff here. Uh, so there's a lot out there on her. So. Did you say you plan to go to Sonoma? Yeah. Both of you? 
Well, I will be going on August 9th, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, she's going, she's trying to go, they're trying to get her out there to coach. But she, her, her, you know, she's a firefighter in Portland. She's trying to promote the book. She's got a lot on her plate. So I don't know how much she's gonna be able to get away to, to coach a, you know, a baseball team. But whenever she can coach, she does. She loves coaching. And what's interesting is that it's still not completely great for her to get up in front of cameras and mics and talk. But when she walks onto a field, you can see she just fits in. It's her, it's her, her zone, and she's at home there. And it's very apparent. And tell the story about she spoke at her old school, right, in, uh, in California, right? Whittier College. And oh, and even uh, high school, right? Didn't, didn't, they, didn't you tell me she recently spoke to where she went to school? Not just college, but wasn't it uh, on the lower level, too? No, what was the gist of it? Do you remember? Well, that the whole, the whole school came out? Was that, oh no, that was her old college coach who invited us, he teaches at a continuation high school in Santa Ana, California, and it's a tough school. And he uh, forced his social studies class to read the book. <laughs> and um, she and I both came and talked to them and it moved me. I, have, I wear this pin because the, the name of the high school is Cesar Chavez High School. And um, that resonates with me and resonates with the kids. Um, these are kids from tough places. Um, they came up to both of us afterwards and talked about what the book meant to them. This is a whole different generation. They came up and told me, one, I'm bi, I'm gay. Uh, my father's in jail, my mother's depressed, I'm suicidal. Uh, I mean, you name it. And both Isla and I were standing there nearly sobbing with our arms around these kids talking. And um, I wear this pen to remind me of what the book helped them. The book made them feel a connection to somebody that made it through the tough times of their childhood. What else do you want from a book? So. Um, there's a young woman that's, I can't, I remember her every day, and I, um, I emailed uh, Isla's coach, and I said, I keep thinking about her, how's she doing, and, you know, can I get together with her? Is it okay if we get together when I get home? Because uh, this girl wants to be a veterinarian. She wants to go to UC Davis, and um, I want to find a way for her to do that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, that's what you write for, is to help inspire somebody to, you know, move on. And how, how did you get into telling, telling baseball stories, particularly telling women's stories in baseball? That's another question of, does your passion choose you, or do you choose your passion? <laughs> uh, but I'll go back to my childhood. I grew up in Queens, and my father was a Giants fan. Uh, my mother hated baseball. Um, to be independent, I chose the Yankees. Um, I got over it when I moved to California. But um, <laughs> he, that was my connection to my dad. And I remember, I was a good reader, and I remember reading Red Smith, um, you know, in his col sports column. And um, thinking, in high school, I said to my dad, that's what I want to do for a living. And he put his glass of milk on the dining table. We were at dinner, and he said, you're, that's not going to happen. And um, I said, well, why not? He said, women, you're not going in the locker room, and women don't write sports. And it was an eye-opener because my father had always supported me in whatever I did. And I wasn't the kind of kid to say no, take no for an answer. But in that case, I just swallowed it. And so for years, I thought, okay, you know, I'm not going to be a sports writer. I did other things, and I wrote about other things. And the way things go, Baseball kept creeping back into my life. I'm married to a former baseball player. So we go to a lot of games, and uh, I kept finding big, good baseball stories. I mean, I found my dog in Compton at the Urban Youth Academy. And my friends here are sick of hearing about my dog. Her name's Angel for the baseball team, because they support that, that field. But um, I can't get away from writing baseball. So 
sometimes I feel guilty because with all that's going on in the world, I feel like, really, baseball? <laughs> but, Take a vacation from guilt. Say what? Take a vacation from guilt. Take a vacation from guilt, he says. But then, because I used to write a political column at home, and um, I'm not doing that anymore. But then there, I think of a quote by a woman um, whose writing I admire, Grace Paley. Anybody read Grace Paley? Well, she, she wrote something to the effect that if you, um, you know, good writing is about illuminating what's hidden. And certainly, whatever good writing I did in this book was about illuminating what was hidden. And she said, when you do that, that's a political act. So I take comfort in that, that at least I'm doing something. <laughs> so. Well, we're, we're uh, coming to the end of our podcast time, and uh, you've done a, uh, you and I have done a lot of good for a lot of people by writing this book, and Thanks. it's going to help a ton of people. Thank you. I, I just want to close, uh, uh, not to talk over the uh, clapping, <laughs> but uh, I just want to close with the words, ironically, of a man, uh, and that's how we'll close uh, this podcast. Uh, it's in the book. There's a letter. It's dated February 24th, 1994. Uh, uh, Dear Isla, I read with great interest in USA Today's Baseball Weekly recently. Maybe you better read this. <laughs> I get emotional. Aww. But don't say who it is until the end. Okay. Um, Dear Isla, I read with great interest in USA Today's Baseball Weekly recently about your memories of me hitting a home run at a Dodgers game you attended as a child. While I may have provided the inspiration for you on that particular day, it sounds like you're the one providing the inspiration these days. I'm sure your pursuit of a pitching career has taken tremendous courage and determination. I commend you for your achievements and I wish you well on your future challenges, both on and off the baseball field. When your schedule permits, I hope you will consider visiting Candlestick Park this year and be a guest of the San Francisco Giants and myself at a Giants game. We would love to see you at our 1994 home opener April 4th against the Pirates. Please call da-da-da-da-da-da-da in our public relations department and they will be happy to make arrangements for you and your family. Keep up the good work and remember, throw strikes. Sincerely, Dusty Baker, manager. <laughs> And she did do that. She threw out first pitches at uh, Angel Stadium and also uh, Dodger Stadium. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank Dad. you. It's making my pitch. Thank you.